This is the fifth day of this September 2023 seven-day Sashin. Over the past couple of days, we've been reading from the book Every, Every Day Zen, Love and Work by Charlotte Joko Beck. And we're going to continue from where we left off yesterday. Uh, this section is titled Authority. Joko says, after years of talking to many, many people, I'm still amazed that we make such a problem of our life and practice. And there is no problem. But saying that is one thing. Seeing it is quite another. The last words of the Buddha were, be a lamp unto yourself. He didn't say, go running to this teacher and that teacher, to this center or that center. He said, look, be a lamp unto yourself. What I want to discuss here is the problem of authority. Usually, we're either an authority to others, telling them what to do, or we're seeking someone to be an authority for us, telling us what to do. And yet we would never be looking for an authority if we had any confidence in ourselves and our understanding. We need to trust Trust in our own true nature. Trust that it's always and already who we are. Then she says, particularly when there is something in our life that is unpleasant or baffling or upsetting, we think we need to go to a teacher or authority who can tell us what to do. I'm always amused that when a new teacher comes to town, everyone goes running to see them. I'll tell you how far I'd walk to see a new teacher, maybe across the room, no farther. It isn't because I have no interest in this person. It's just that there is no one who can tell me about my life except who? 
There is no authority outside of my experience. There is no authority outside of your experience. Zen is the school of direct experience. And Zazen is not just, not just a method for experiencing our true self. It's not just a tool. It's, it's the embodiment, the embodiment of what Shakyamuni Buddha had experienced sitting under the Bodhi tree some 2,500 years ago. The embodiment of it. The Rinzai master, Soyen Shaku, put it this way. Don't think that your body is your body. It's the body of all beings. Don't think that your mind is your mind. It's the mind of all beings. So all of us sitting here at Chapin Mill and on Zoom doing Zazen Doing Zazen itself is the embodiment. The embodiment of this boundless, boundless body-mind. And then Joko says, but you may say, well, I need a teacher who can free me from my suffering. I'm hurting and I don't understand it. I need someone who can tell me what to do, don't I? No. You may need a guide. You may need it made clear how to practice with your life. What is needed is a guide who will make it clear to you that the authority in your life, your true teacher, is you. And we practice to realize this one you. We practice to realize this one that has been a Buddha all along. And then she says, there is only one teacher. What is that teacher? Life itself. And of course, 
Each one of us is a manifestation of life. We couldn't be anything else. Now, life happens to be both a severe and an endlessly kind teacher. It's the only authority that you need to trust. And this teacher, this authority, is everywhere. You don't have to go to some special place to find this incomparable teacher. You don't have to have some especially quiet or ideal situation. In fact, the messier it is, the better. The average office is a great place. The average home is perfect. Some places are pretty messy most of the time. We all know from firsthand experience. This is where the authority, the teacher, is. Everyone and everything offers us a teaching, is the teacher. Each one of us. The flowers on the altar. cushions and mats, the sounds of birds, things as they are, the train, Teachers, then she says, This is a very radical teaching, it's not for everyone. People often turn away from such a teaching. They don't want to hear it. What do they want to hear? What do you want to hear? Until we're ready, which usually means until we have suffered and have been willing to learn from the suffering, we're like baby birds in a nest. What do baby birds do? They open their mouths upward and wait to be fed. And we say, please stuff your wonderful teaching into me. I'll hold my mouth open. But you put it in. What we are saying is, when will mommy and daddy come? When will a great teacher, 
a supreme authority, come and stuff me with that which will end my pain, my suffering. But when I can begin to experience this very moment, the true teacher, when I can honestly be each moment of my life, what I think, feel, this experiencing will settle itself into just this. Or just mo. Just who? The joyful samadhi of life. And that is Zen practice. And we don't even have to use the word Zen. We don't have to use the word Zen because it's just that, a word. The same thing goes with the words teacher and student. Words are at the conceptual level. They don't convey the whole, the whole of it. In, in the Blue Cliff Record, there's a koan about the conventional idea that a teacher has something to teach. It's called Obaku's Mash Eaters, case number 11. <clears throat> Obaku, instructing the assembly, said, You are all mash eaters. However you go about traveling on pilgrimages, what is your position today? Do you know that in all the land of Tiang there is no Zen teacher? So uh, saying you're all mash eaters requires some translation. Calling the entire assembly of monks a bunch of mash eaters is not a compliment. The word mash refers to the, the, the leftovers, the, the solid remains uh, from making wine. So crushed uh, grape skins, leaves, twigs, seeds. And the term mash eater was used to describe those who merely copied or imitated teachers. Monks traveling around one temple to another, meeting this teacher and that teacher, and memorizing their sayings, even reciting their sayings as if um, they were their own, trying to show off their understanding, 
when in reality they didn't have the experience to back up the words. So a mass eater is someone who's deluded in thinking that they've tasted the real thing. So Obaku says, however you go about traveling on pilgrimages, what is your position today? Do you know that in all the land of Tiang there is no Zen teacher? And then one of the monks comes forward out of the crowd and says, What do you mean there are no Zen teachers? Surely there are those who teach disciples and lead communities. What about that? So this monk is saying, Hey, what about you? Aren't you a teacher? To which Obaku replied, I do not say that there is no Zen. It is just that there are no Zen teachers. You know, on the one hand, teachers do serve a purpose in sustaining the practice making it available to people, sustaining the training and the traditions. But when it comes to realization, this gets to what Joko is saying. The real teacher is the one within. It's the the lamp inside yourself. And it's, it's important to recognize this because we are socially conditioned to think that wisdom comes from the outside. There's this saying, if you're still looking for that one person who will change your life, look in the mirror. now going to skip ahead a bit to another excerpt from Joko's book, and it it appears in a later chapter. It's titled, Running in Place. Practice can be stated very simply. It is moving from a life of hurting myself and others 
to a life of not hurting myself and others. That seems so simple, except for when we substitute for real practice some idea that we should be different or better than we are, or that our lives should be different from the way they are. When we substitute our ideas about what should be for our life as it truly is, we're, we're off base and our practice is barren. In other words, we're just living our lives through, through our thoughts, preconceived ideas, not through our experience of life. as it's revealed to us moment by moment. She then says, Suppose we want to realize how a marathon runner feels. If we run two blocks or two miles or five miles, we will know something about running those distances, but we won't yet know anything about running a marathon. We can recite theories about marathons, we can describe tables about the physiology of marathon runners. We can pile up endless information about marathon running. But that doesn't mean we know what it is. We can only know when we are the one doing it. We only know our life when we experience it directly instead of dreaming about how it might be if we did this or had that. This we can call running in place, being present as we are right here and right now. The first stage in practice is, is to recognize that we're not running in place. We're always thinking about how our lives might be or how they once were. What is there in our life right now that we don't want to run in place with? What is there in our life right now 
that we don't want to run in place with. Whatever is repetitive or dull or painful or miserable, we don't want to run in place with that. No, indeed. The first stage in practice is to realize that we are rarely present. We're not experiencing life. We're thinking about it, conceptualizing it, having opinions about it. It is frightening to run in place. A major component of practice is to realize how this fear and unwillingness dominates us. What is, what is frightening about dropping our thoughts? They've become a great source of comfort to us. They help us cope with unpleasant things, if only as a distraction. What's so scary about letting them go? Everyone in this sashim has experienced what Joko is uh, describing, what she calls, uh, quote-unquote, the first stage, noticing our habitual thoughting. And it's interesting that she uses this metaphor, running in place, which conventionally tends to have a negative connotation, as in, I'm not getting anywhere. I keep going to Sashin after Sashin, and nothing happens for me. I'm stuck. I'm spinning my wheels on and on. But she says that to run in place is to be in place. No matter where you are or what you're doing, to be right there. Not trying to go someplace else. Make movement rest and nothing moves. See rest in motion. There's no rest.
She goes on. If we practice with patience and persistence, we enter the second stage. We slowly begin to be conscious of the ego barriers of our life, the thoughts, the emotions, the evasions, the manipulations can now be observed more easily. Elsewhere in her book, she refers to this ability to both observe or notice and to experience as essential to creating what she calls a bigger container. What's that bigger container? Pure awareness. To simply observe and experience without there being one who is doing the observing and experiencing. Not two. And during Sashin, as our mind settles more and more, we, we witness the functioning of our mind. We, we observe thoughts arising and disappearing, moving in and out of different mind states, different emotional states, We see how random and irrelevant and outrageous it all is. All of it passes through the mind like clouds drifting, drifting along in the bright blue sky. The other thing we notice is that somehow, somehow they manage to lead us astray. We keep getting snagged. But noticing all of this is the practice working. It's part of the process. As frustrating as it can be. And it's not enough, though, to just uh, notice our thoughts. We've got to take it a step further and make that choice to return to our practice. We need to do it over and over. Not letting up. Not giving in to our ego. 
And at this point in Sashin, our, effort, our efforts are aided by Jariki, the power of mind, the energy of mind. It's accumulating and will continue to grow in the days ahead. We may experience our, our energy level ebb and flow. That's natural. But know that. Know that that energy is there. It's growing and it's waiting to be tapped into. And the way to tap into it is to continue, continue, continue to give our attention to our practice. And then Joko says, and what is the crucial third stage of practice? It is the direct experiencing of whatever the scenery of our life is at any moment as we run in place. This place. This one now. You know, in describing practice as a set of stages, to use her language, there is a risk of seeing it as linear or a chronological progression. But it's not that at all. We might experience it that way sometimes. But we can also move in and out of these so-called stages at different points. And that shift can happen in an instant. And here's what she says about this uh, so-called third stage. Is it simple? Yes. Is it easy? No. I remember the Saturday morning when we delayed the morning sitting schedule for 20 minutes so that some of us could go a few blocks for the great opportunity of watching the San Diego Marathon leaders race by. At 9.05, along they came. I was amazed by the flowing quality of the leader's movement. Even though he was in the final five miles, 
He was simply gliding along. It was not hard to appreciate his running. But where is it that we have to run and practice? We must practice with ourselves as we are right now. To see a top-level runner is inspiring, but thinking that we should be like that now is not useful. We have to run where we are. We have to learn here and now from how we are here and now. We have to learn here and now from how we are here and now. This reminds me of how one of, you know, one of the big mistakes I kept making over and over in Sashim, I used to treat it as if it were a marathon of some kind. I saw it as this enormous, impossible challenge. I made it into a thing, an object, and it had a start and a finish. And so much of my energy was about getting to the finish line. If not Kensho, then just getting through to the end of Sashin. But thinking about a finish line doesn't make it arrive any sooner. A marathon runner can tell you that. And not only that, you also miss out on the wonderful views, the scenery along the route. all the nows that are yet to come. Then Joko says, we never grow by dreaming about a future wonderful state or by remembering past feats. We grow by being where we are and experiencing what our life is right now. We must experience our anger, our sorrow, our failure, our apprehension. They can all be our teachers when we do not separate ourselves from them.
when we escape from what is given, we cannot learn, we cannot grow. That's not hard to understand, just hard to do. Those who persist, however, will be those who will grow in understanding and compassion. How long is such practice required? Forever. Okay, but let's be clear. Forever is now. There's that cliche saying, live in the moment. You find it on t-shirts. But how could you not live in the moment? Even if you don't recognize yet that life is just, just as it is, moment by moment, doesn't make it not so. Nothing is static, life is changing one moment to the next, and we ourselves are life. We ourselves are change. Each breath is a beginning. Each breath is a chance to reunite with our practice again and again. releasing ourselves into pure awareness. Don't waste this one precious moment. Don't waste this one now. We'll stop here and recite the four vows.